set our hearts on you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' strong name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bible, we'll be looking at the first three verses. I'm going to focus on one line in verse 2 will be our text. And I want to talk to you this morning about fixing our eyes on Jesus. The name of the series this month is Just One Thing. Say that with me. Just One Thing. Most of us this time of the year, our hearts and our minds are filled with many things that we want to see change in the new year. And it's easy for us to get overwhelmed with how many things and projects we want to tackle in the month of January. And I want to talk to you today about the need to back up and just focus in on one thing primarily. Amen? We're talking about just one thing. Say it again. Just one thing thing. Amen? I love our graphic. You see there's all kind of things up there in the bottom you could focus on, but there's just one that is most needful. Amen? It's that time of year, the turn of a new year, the top of a new decade. We're filled with optimism. We have high hopes about making some changes for the year that is ahead. And the month that we believe will put us on track for a better season is January. Some of you've already started. You've got your resolutions. Some of you are still scratching your head and say, well, maybe we'll get to that next week, right? Yeah, when the kids go back to school. Amen. If we're not careful, we will be like the fabled cowboy who jumped on his horse and rode off in every direction. Some of you will catch that on the way home. We see so many things that need fixing, and we want to tackle every one of them, and it's easy to get overwhelmed with the amount of work we need to do. Physically, we want to lose weight, get in shape, and diet. Financially, we, we see we need to get on a budget, and we need to curb our spending and pay down debts and get our house in order financially. Relationally, we look at marriage and kids and adult children that we may be struggling with or aging parents and figuring out how we can best meet their needs vocationally, stuff at work, your career, maybe finding a job, maybe finding a different or better job, uh, maybe up progressing in the career field that you've chosen. All those things are on your list. Maybe it's education. You're trying to get back on track. Maybe last semester was kind of rough for you, and you're trying to do better this semester. Maybe uh, there's a sport you're starting this semester, and you really want to excel at that. All of us have a whole list of stuff that we're focused on in the new year. But I want to tell you, there's great need to really hammer down on one main thing. And we find it in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bible, let's read there together. In fact, I want to invite you to read it aloud with me, and let's focus our heart in on God's Word. Would you read with me? Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. May God bless his word and his people said, Amen. Amen. I want to tell you today, we're going to check our hearts for the next few weeks and make sure we're focused on what is right. We ought to be focused in on just one thing. Say it one more time. Just one thing. 
thing. This verse, this passage gives us several clues about what we ought to be doing. Number one, he says we ought to lose the weight, right? Strip off everything and the sin that so easily entangles us. He tells us we ought to run the race with perseverance, with effort, with endurance. He tells us that. But the main encouragement that the writer of Hebrews gives us in this passage is tucked away right there in the middle in verse 2. You just read it. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, looking unto Jesus. Amen? It's important to be focused on the right thing. A few years ago, while crossing the U.S.-Mexico border on his bicycle, Pedro Gonzalez was stopped by a border guard who pointed to two sacks that Pedro was carrying on his shoulders. What's in those bags, the guard asked. Sand, said Pedro. Get them off and let's check, said the guard. Pedro did as he was told. They opened the bags. They searched them. Only sand. They allowed Pedro to put the bags back on his shoulder. He rode back across on his bike and kept going. A few days later, he did the same thing. They came over and they stopped him. and They said, what do you have in the bags? He said, just sand, I promise. They said, okay, let's check. This time they poured the sand out on the ground. They checked his pockets. They made him empty his jacket. They checked sand in the bags. That's all they could find. He scooped the sand back in and they got him on his way and he went back. This went on day after day for several weeks. About six weeks every day, just sand. And they thought, what in the world is going on here? Finally, they just started to ignore it and let Pedro cross when he wanted to. A few weeks later, Pedro met um, the man who was one of the border guards in town and he said, okay, I, I don't have a clue what's going on, but I know something is up. I know this can't just be as simple as bags of sand going across the border. And so he stopped Pedro and he said, Pedro, I'll make a deal with you. I won't say a word about it if you will just tell me what you're smuggling across the border. I just can't get my head around it. And Pedro smiled and grinned and said, bicycles. The border agent had been so focused on the bags on Pedro's shoulder that he never noticed that every day Pedro rode a different bike across the border. <laughs> if we're not careful, we will get focused on the wrong thing at the beginning of this new year, and it will cause us to miss something very important. So at the head of the year, let's focus on just the one main thing that we need to. And that one main thing is in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The message says it this way. Keep your eyes on him who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. I like that. Look unto Jesus, the Bible says. Well, how do we do that? Well, let me give you some clues. Number one, we have to look away. Say, look away. The Greek word for looking unto Jesus literally is looking away unto Jesus. It means looking off of one thing to look on to something else. It's this idea of deliberately turning your gaze from one thing to a different thing. And so the first step is to look away from some stuff. We have to gaze on Jesus. We have to look away unto Jesus. 
Aphorantes is the Greek verb, looking away. In order to look to Jesus, we have to look off some other things. We have to take our minds off distractions, and we have to focus in on him intentionally. Proverbs 4.25 says this, Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all of your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. You see, there's some wrong places that we could be looking, and we need to look away from them today. Number one, some of us in the room are still looking back. Say, looking back. Some of us aren't ready for the new year because we're still focused on the old year. We're still looking back over our shoulder at the mistakes we made, the tragedies we endured, the things that went wrong, the ways people hurt us. We're looking at all the wrong stuff. Looking back can be very dangerous for us in the Christian life, for life in general. On May the 6th of 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. Now, I promise you since then that record's been shattered and we know that but back in the day that was a big deal he was the first one to break that record within two months John Landy eclipsed the record by 1.4 seconds on August the 7th 1954 these two men who were considered the fastest in the world at the time met to go head to head in a race against one another and everyone was excited to see which one would be able to pull it out that day it looked as if Landy would win they moved into the last lap Landy held the lead he neared the finish but he was haunted by Bannister because he couldn't catch him in his periphery and he just wanted to know how far ahead was he really than his opponent as he turned to look Bannister took the lead ahead of him he ended up losing the race by just fractions of a second as he turned to look back he lost the race he said to Time Magazine reporter if I hadn't looked back I would have won the moment he took to glance off his shoulder caused him to slow down and lose pace just enough to lose the race. The Bible says in Genesis 19, verse 17, the Lord told Lot, look not behind thee. When God's angels rescued them from Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says the Lord told him, do not look back. And yet we know the story, right? Lot's wife did look back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Amen. What a horrible thing. In Luke 17, 32, Jesus simply says, Remember Lot's wife. Shortest sermon in the Bible. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back and she got stuck back there. You don't want to look back. There's a dangerous thing about that. In the wilderness, the Bible says the Israelites looked back. They turned again and tempted God and provoked the Holy One of Israel, Psalm 78 says. How did they tempt God? By looking back. They keep saying all along the journey in the wilderness, Oh, that we could just go back to Egypt. Oh, how good we had it back there in Egypt. I want to tell you, there are lots of people who say things like that. Oh, if we could just go back to a, a previous time. The Bible warns us against that. He tells us, don't say that the former days were better than these days. That's a waste. There's nothing back there. There's no future in the past. Amen? We can't go back in time. We never will be able to go back and reclaim all of that. But we can go forward and refuse to get stuck 
And that is a conscious decision we have to make. But there's problem for us if we look back. Israel looked back. They spoiled their furrow. They spoiled their whole course. They failed to enter in simply because they looked the wrong direction. They looked back. Jesus said in Luke 9, 62, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus warns us we have to keep our eyes forward and move ahead. There's a reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror on your car. You're supposed to spend more, spend more time looking forward than you are looking backward. You look back to just to get enough bearings to know that you're going the right way, but your attention has got to be forward. It's true for a church. It's true for an individual. It's true for a family. We have to have a forward-thinking vision, and we can't look back. So to look unto Jesus, we have to stop looking back. Say, looking back. Number two, we have to stop looking around. There's a lot of that that goes on as well. Instead of focusing on Jesus, we look at everything around us. We get focused on our circumstances. We look around. We're commanded to not look around. Really? Isaiah 41.10 says, look not around thee. Go read it. We're not supposed to be looking around us. In other words, don't get your eyes on your circumstances. Don't become fixated on what's wrong and go around you in life. If you're not careful, you can look around you and you will get so discouraged or so angry and perturbed that you will lose heart. I see it happen all the time. There's nothing wrong with keeping up with current events. You should do that. We ought to read the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other and figure out how to put them together. Amen? We're called to do that. But can I tell you, I've got friends who spend more time in Fox News than they do God's Word. And they're depressed, and they're dejected, and they're negative Nellies, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket all the time, and the sky's always falling, and everything's always bad and dark, and all they can talk about is that kind of stuff. Look not around thee. Don't look back, and don't just look around. It's okay to know what's going on around you, but your focus and your attention can't be on what's going on around you. Your focus has to be on one thing only, looking unto Jesus. Amen? So don't look back and don't look around. You remember the story of Simon Peter. Jesus calls him out of the boat onto the water, and as long as his eyes are on Jesus, he's doing the impossible. He's walking on the water. But the Bible says when he saw the waves and heard the wind, he sank. When you get your focus wrong, everything goes wrong. Whatever has your attention has you. And if you don't get your head right, nothing will ever be right. Amen? I'm preaching better than you're shouting. I'm just going to keep on preaching. We read it. Proverbs 4.25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Your eyelids right before you. Peter was doing great as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. So stop looking back. Stop looking around and stop looking within. I don't care what Oprah says. The answer's not inside of you. You can look inside all you want. You'll find yesterday's pizza and last week's problems. That's all it's there. Amen. If it was in there, you'd have found it by now. It's not in there. The answer's not in there. It's up there. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You have to look away to Jesus. But in order to look on Jesus, you've got to stop looking all these other places. Don't look back. Don't look around. Don't look within. Hear me. Corey Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I like it. 
Amen. Looking away unto Jesus. Well, we look away, then we look unto Jesus. Say unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Fixing our gaze on Jesus, one version says. Stretching all the way from Georgia to Maine is this long trail called what? The Appalachian Trail. That's right. Shay had a first cousin one time. They marched up to Pikes Peak, and there's this little trailhead there. And he thought that was the way that led back to the car. And he started out on the Appalachian Trail. He's about 14, and about a mile down, some guy found him and said, Son, where are you going? He said, Back to the car. He said, You won't find a car till you get to Maine. <laughs> He said, well, I think I'll turn around. And he said, I think that's a good idea. And Steve marched back up to the top of the hill and found the right road. The Appalachian Trail goes from Georgia to Maine. And if you're not careful, you can get lost on it pretty easily and pretty quickly. It goes for 2,200 miles. It goes from Springer Mountain in Georgia to Mount uh, Katahdin in Maine. It's the longest hiking-only trail in the world. Most of it is surrounded by thick forest. And you can lose your way rather quickly and get swallowed up by an enormous wilderness. The way through it is simple though. You look from one tree or pole to the next to the next and they are marked with a white cross blazoned on them. And as long as you keep your eyes on the cross, you're going the right way. But if you don't see a cross for a few feet, you might want to back up and figure out where you went wrong. I love it. Life is a lot like the Appalachian Trail. If you lose sight of the cross, if you don't see the signs that you're walking with Jesus, then you may need to go back and make a correction. We should look away to Jesus. Why? Well, the Bible tells us, number one, he's the author of our salvation. Say the author. He is the author of salvation. In the story of the brazen serpent, all those who were snake bitten and dying only had one hope of salvation. Look and live. They had to look to the serpent on the pole. The Bible tells us in John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus was lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And when we look to the cross, we are saved by grace through faith. Amen. Charles Spurgeon tells the story about how he came to know the Lord Jesus. He says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. Spurgeon said, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist church. In the chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads hurt. In case you're wondering where holiness people came from, yes. But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved, Spurgeon says. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed in as at least a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. The text was Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew my heart, he said, young man, you look very miserable. Spurgeon said, well, I did, but I was not accustomed to having remarks being made about it from the pulpit. 
However, it was a good blow and it struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. Spurgeon said that in that moment it was like the sun broke from behind the clouds. For the first time in his life, the lights came on in his soul and he understood the gospel. And in that moment, he looked and he believed and was saved by the grace of God. Jesus is the author of salvation. And if you will look unto him today, you'll trust him with all your heart. He will save you from sin. Amen? He's the author of salvation. Say salvation. Number two, he's the source of motivation. Say motivation. Jesus not only starts me on the right road, he motivates me to keep moving down this road. How does he do that? Well, he does that by his example. The writer of Hebrews says, consider him. Say that with me. Consider him. In other words, think about Jesus. Study him. Set your mind on him. Spend some time contemplating the life of Jesus. If anybody had to walk a hard, difficult road, it was the Lord Jesus. In fact, whenever we complain about life, I can imagine Jesus rolling up his sleeves and showing his nail prints and saying, you're having a bad day? Would you like to talk about it? Yeah. Jesus is the king of the bad day. He knows what difficulties we may face. Listen, we've talked about that already. We talked about that at the end of last year. Jesus can sympathize with our weakness. He knows what we're facing. Nothing can fill the heart of a Christian with more courage or strength than considering Jesus, looking to him who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. George Matheson wrote, We commonly associate patience with lying down. We think of it as an angel uh, guarding the couch of the invalid. Yet there is a patience that is much harder. The patience that can run. To lie down in the time of grief, to be quiet under the stroke of adverse fortune, implies a great strength. But I know of something that implies a greater strength still. It is the power to work under stress, to have a great weight at your heart and still keep running, to have a deep anguish in your spirit and still perform your daily task. It is a Christ-like thing. It is the hardest thing that most of us are called to do, is to exercise our patience, not in the sick bed, but in the street day after day after day. Some of you are in a difficult spot. Some of you are bearing up under great strain and difficult circumstances right now. And I want to tell you that maybe the most courageous show of strength you could give today is one simple thing. Just keep moving. Just keep plowing ahead. Just keep getting up and putting one foot in front of the other as God gives you the strength to do that. Sometimes that and that alone is all God expects and all God requires. To quote that famous theologian, the fish named Dory, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Amen. Jesus gives us, he's the author of salvation. He's the source of motivation. He encourages us to keep moving. He's the hope of preservation. He's the finisher of our faith. Say the finisher. We talked about that last week, didn't we? He'll keep us. He'll preserve us. We can trust him. His love won't run out. He won't quit. He never has to mark us off the list because he can't finish what he started. He died to save us and he lives to keep us. 
We read it last week. I'm sure that he who began a good work in you will keep it, will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus started this and he'll finish it in us. Well, what is our responsibility? Look away, look to Jesus, and stay focused. Say, stay focused. This is it and I'm done. We can go eat chicken. Looking unto Jesus. The New American Standard Version says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Say that with me. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's not just looking and then getting distracted again. The verb is literally this idea of fastening your gaze. It is peering at someone. It's looking at you like your mama looks at you when she's told you about three times to do something and you say, huh? Yeah. It is staring. It is focused attention. It is fixing your eyes on them. Good athletes aren't focused on the noisy critics and the bleachers. They're not focused on the overbearing parent coaching from the stands. Their attention is on the coach. They're listening for one voice, the voice of the one they'll answer to in the huddle when the game is over. That's who they're focused on. In a race, the judge would stand at the finish line holding a victor's crown made of garland and present it to the winner. I want to tell you, to fix your eyes, it means to, to consider attentively. It's to set your gaze like a bolt on something. It means to look away from everything else so you can focus all your attention down on one object. When your eyes are focused, you don't veer off the road. Too much distracted driving today, right? We got behind a guy the other day. I thought he was chasing a snake down Highway 98. Amen? I finally pulled up next to him and realized he was just scrolling on Facebook, right? When your eyes are focused, you don't veer off the road. You steer clear of potholes. You avoid dark areas. You can do that because you're focused. Remember, whatever has my attention has me. The Bible talks a lot about staying focused on just one thing. A great verse, one that I believe you should write over the head of your year this year, is Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, 4 says this, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. One thing, the psalmist says, I want to be in the presence of God every day. He said, I'll seek that every day. Boy, that's a good New Year's resolution that every day I'll be found in the presence of God. Every day I will show up in his presence you can do that on Sunday by coming to this house. But you need some place in your house where you set aside a time and a place to pray and seek the face of God in prayer. Jesus said your eye must be single. He told the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. You remember that? He'd done all these things right. Jesus said, good, you're just lacking one thing. One thing can make all the difference in heaven and hell. The Bible tells us that when Martha fussed because Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus rather than helping her prepare the meal, Jesus said to her in Luke 10, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Say many things. That's most Christians I know right there. Many things. Troubled and worried about many things. Jesus said, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. One thing, 
focusing on Jesus, sitting at his feet, hearing his voice, spending time in his word, being guided and led by him. If I will get my eyes fixed on Jesus, I'm quite sure he probably wants to address many things in my life. If you'll focus on Jesus, he may talk to you about your diet and your finances and your relationships and your employment and everything else. But my heart is a crowded place, and there's only room for one all-consuming passion, and it must be Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. Seek first. Say that with me. Seek first. The Greek word is proton, first. When you read a commentary on it, it's interesting because you think seek first means, well, I can seek that, but then I can seek all the other stuff after it. It's interesting when you read a commentary on the verse, though, it says, in most places, the word proton means first, except in this context where it means only. <laughs> now read the verse again. Seek only the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Just one thing. If we will focus on God and his kingdom and we will take care of that, God says, I will take care of the rest. Amen. But many of us will never know if that's true because we don't have the faith slash courage to try it. Amen. How do you know? Do you pay your tithes? Do you give 10%? Off the top or the bottom, which way you want God to bless you, that's up to you. <laughs> do you? Pastor, I can't do that. Listen, I'm not fussing at you. I'm just telling you, for me and Shay, our finances have always been a litmus test of our heart. And we made the decision when I only brought home 300 I didn't bring it home. I, I made $300 a week before taxes. And we had $600 a month house rent, so don't tell me it was easier. And I had a car note, and we had insurance, and we were both in school, paying our own way through. Yeah, it was hard. But we made the decision on the front end, God, we're going to honor you with our finances. My, it's quiet and holy in this church now. Start talking about tithing, they get quiet. We made a decision at the beginning that we were going to trust God financially, and we were going to give that, and we were going to trust God to make the 90 stretch further with his blessing than the 10 would without it. And I want to tell you from that day to this day, you can look and tell we hadn't missed a meal. I've gone up a pant size every year. <laughs> God's taking care of us. He's been good to us. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can start there. Well, start where you are and bump it up. Amen. Get there. But get moving in that direction. Why? It, your obedience is a sign of your faith. And our finances are a way that we demonstrate the truth of our heart. I mean, it's easy to sing it, it's easy to say it on Sunday, but it's quite different to write that check and drop it in and go, well, there it goes. <laughs> We're going to have to trust you now, God. We've done jumped out there. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's just one of many ways. Obeying God. Maybe it's at work. Maybe you've been cutting corners in order to make it, and you think, I don't know if I can make it if I did this the right way. I dare you to trust God enough to live righteously and do what's right because it's right even if your boss doesn't want you to. Years ago, Dwight L. Moody, 
Dwight L. Moody was a shoot. No, it wasn't Dwight L. Moody. It was Charles Finney. He was working in a shop, and a man came in. He worked in a fabric shop, and he was stretching the fabric to cut it. And the shop owner came, and he was cutting expensive silk. And the shop owner showed him. He said, look, I'll show you a trick. He said, silk will stretch. He said, if you'll pull on it and stretch it, he said, you can stretch that silk, and you can cut, and they won't quite get a yard, but we'll save a little bit of money. And Charles Finney said, sir, your silk may stretch, but my conscience won't. Thanks be to God. I pray you get a conscience that won't stretch this year. Amen. Do what's right because it's right. Trust God, even if it costs you greatly. That's what I'm talking about. Enough faith to put God first, enough faith to obey Jesus, enough faith to risk something for the kingdom, enough faith to put God first, to put God's house first. I remember when we missed other things because of church instead of missing church because of other things. I know I'm old, right? I know I'm old school, right? Yeah. Remember that? When we missed other things because of church, not the other way around? Seek only. Seek first the kingdom of God. I'm challenging you at the head of this year, make up your mind right now today, I'm putting Jesus first in everything. I'm putting him first in my finances, in my relationships, in my employment. All these things will have to be adjusted. Yes, they will. But how do you know what adjustments need to be made? I'll tell you how. By fixing your eyes on Jesus and doing his example and following his lead and obeying his word and doing what he leads and guides you to do. And if you'll make the changes that Jesus directs you to make, they'll be the right ones. And he'll give you the power to stick with it throughout the whole year. And you'll make it through to the end. How do we give deliberate attention to God? I think you know the answer to this. We, you, we know how to do it. It's not a matter of not knowing. It's a matter of not doing. Again, it's discipline and obedience. How can I give deliberate attention to God? How can I stay focused on Jesus? You know the answer. Number one, pray. Pray. Don't just say you're going to do it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just lie and tell people you're praying for them. Pray. But that means you may have to set the clock earlier. It means you may have to stop watching five TV shows at night and only watch three and carve out some time to spend alone with Jesus in prayer. Let God get to you before the day does. Talk to him before you post on Facebook or reply to a text message or answer an email or return a call or read the paper or turn on the news. Listen, how do you get started? Show up tonight at 6 o'clock. Get in a prayer meeting. Let the prayer meeting tonight ignite your fire and your passion for prayer. Join us next Sunday morning. Craig is opening his Sunday school class. 8.30 next Sunday morning, a group of people will gather in there and pray and seek the face of God. Get up a little earlier. Make the coffee twice as strong. Come at 8.30. Let's pray. Amen. Oh, it's quiet. It's quiet because you know I'm telling the truth. Pray. Number two, read God's Word. The discipline of just reading the Bible. It's amazing to me how many people say, I wish I could hear from God and their Bible is closed and there's a half inch of dust laying on it. Don't tell me you want to hear from God when you've got his closed mouth sitting by your bed. Amen. God primarily speaks to us by way of his written word. Take time to study it and read it every day. Amen. Why, Pastor? Why do I have to do that? Uh, have any of you seen the movie Fifty First Dates? It's okay. I'll forgive you if you have. Fifty First Dates. It's the story of this young woman who has a head injury, and so she wakes up every morning, and she's forgotten everything about her life previously. She wakes up in a whole new world every day, you know, like some of your kids do. <laughs> 
and she can't remember the past. And so every morning, what her husband does is he makes a videotape, and she pops it in and hits play. She wakes up, there's a videotape, and it says press play, and she hits play, and it shows her the movie, and it says, this is you. And she says, oh, yay, that's me. And she says, and here's the accident where you had a brain injury. And she goes, oh, no, that's awful. And she cries. And he says, and this is you recovering. And she goes, yay, I recovered. And then she goes, this is your husband. And she goes, oh, wow. And these are your three kids. And she says, oh, my. And here's your job. Here's what you do every day. And she goes, okay. And about that time, her husband walks in with a cup of coffee. And he's got her caught up on her whole life. And he has reoriented her to reality. She wakes up every day in a fog and has to be reminded of who she is, where she is, and why she's there. I want to tell you, Christians, we're like that. The world has a way of rocking us asleep. The world has a way of making us forget who we are, where we are, and why we're here. And every day what I need is to wake up in the morning and to hit play on God's Word and let God tell me, don't be confused, Daniel. You are a child of God. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You're redeemed and you're born again and you have a calling and you have a purpose and I've got a plan for you and whatever the world tells you different today is a lie. Let God get to you first. Let him play the tape. Let him remind you of the truth. Let him bring you back into reality. We need to do that every day because we forget every night. We wake up and life has a way of making us forget who we are and why we're here. And so we read God's Word. I have some friends that we're going through the Bible together in a year on the YouVersion app, on our phone. We started the one-year Bible reading plan. We're in it together. We're checking off every day. We're reading and we're making little notes in there as we read of things that jump out at us. We're going to hold each other accountable. We started January 1 and when we cross December 31st, we will have read the entire Bible in one year. It's not hard. You just get disciplined and you do it. You get some friends to do it with you. If that seems like too much for you, decide to complete the New Testament this year. But a whole lot, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. Do something this year. Get disciplined and read God's Word. How do you focus your attention on Jesus? Pray daily. Get in His Word daily. Let Him talk to you and play the tape and make you come awake again. And number three, go to church. Be faithful to God's house. Every few days, my my spiritual attention deficit disorder kicks in and I lose my way again. Every few days, I need to gather with a group of fellow believers and I need somebody to shake me awake and sing me awake and preach me awake and pray me awake and remind me of who I am and why I'm here. That's why we do this every Sunday. That's why we do this every Wednesday. Because that takes only about three days in the world for you to lose sight and lose your way and begin to drift off. So we come back and we do it often. Why? So that every week we can come in and Pastor Chad can can grab you and shake you by the soldiers and sing in a high falsetto voice for you to come awake. (laughs) Why? Because you're asleep. You're asleep. Some of you leave still half asleep, but we do our best, right, Chad? We do our best. Amen. We come in and every week the choir comes in and they sing and they smile and they sway and they give it all they got. And they look at some of us going, man, y'all need some coffee. But choir, what do you do? You get back up here every week. Why? Because we need somebody to shake us awake every week. And so they sing us awake and they do it faithfully. Amen. And the preacher gets up here every week and does it all over again. Why? Because we are forgetful people.
look away. Don't look back. Don't look around. Don't look within. Look unto Jesus. And don't just glance at him. Fix your gaze on him. Stand with me all over God's house. Chad, if you're not offended at me, come help me close the service. I know I haven't said anything today that you didn't already know. I wasn't trying to. I just wanted to remind you on the first Sunday of this year of what you do know. Most of us do not fail in any area of life because we don't know better. We fail because we don't do what we know to do. Isn't that the truth? It's not a lack of knowledge that usually gets us. It's usually a lack of follow-through. Amen. Most of us don't need a class on finances or, or fitness or, or whatever. We just need to do what we already know to do. We're prone to forget. As the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. My hope today is that you'll make the decision today to focus on just one thing this new year. To fix your eyes on Jesus. In Jesus, there's full acceptance, so don't doubt him. In Jesus, there's peace, so trust him. In Jesus, there's life, so abide in him. In Jesus, there's blessing, so delight in him. In Jesus, there's light, so follow him. In Jesus, there's power, so wait on him. In Jesus, there's all truth, so learn from him. In Jesus, there's grace, so receive it from him. In Jesus, there's joy, so rejoice in him. In Jesus, there's unlimited wealth, so depend on him for your needs. In Jesus, there's strength, so lean on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Do you need to look away from some things today? Look away. Do you need to look unto Jesus for salvation today? If you walked in today and you've never really trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, what are you waiting on? Start the year right by doing as Spurgeon did, looking unto Jesus for salvation. Do you need to fix your eyes this morning? Are you like many of us? You tend to glance at Jesus and then get distracted by glancing at everything else too? Do you tend to do that? Let me tell you today, you can make up your mind today, I'm going to fix my gaze on Christ. I'm going to set my heart on Jesus this year. Where are you? What do you need to do today? What do you need to do this year for it to be different? If you do the same thing, you'll get the same results. How's this year going to be different? All those things you wrote down a few days ago, they were the same things you wrote down last year. Right? The only difference between last year and this year is your attention. Where is your focus and where will it stay? Set it on Jesus. He will help you make the changes you need to make. He'll show you which ones they are and he'll empower you to follow through and do them. Focus on him. Prayer, his word, his house. Set him first. He'll strengthen you. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus. I love you and I thank you for my friends who come this morning because we are full of optimism and faith and enthusiasm about the year ahead of us. But Lord, I pray today that you would stop us just for a minute 
before we run off into every direction to fix all the thorny problems in our lives. Lord, I pray today you would slow our roll down just long enough to let us hear you say, look unto me, look unto me. Lord, I pray today if there's one in this house who's not saved, they've never trusted Jesus as Savior, that they would understand that nothing's going to be right until they get that right. They can turn over all the new leaves they want to, but nothing's going to change until you let them, until they, they allow you to make them a new creature, give them a new heart, give them a fresh start. Lord, I pray today someone in this room would come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you to change my heart because I've tried everything and it doesn't, I, I seem to be unsuccessful at changing myself. Of course you can't. The leper can't change his spots. God wants to change you if you'll let him. Come to the cross. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer, but you are such a distracted one. Today, God's calling you to make the decision at the head of this year to fix your gaze on Jesus, to let your attention be on him. To make the commitment today, I'm going to start this year focused on him alone. I'm going to let him address whatever he wants to. But my goal all year will be just one thing. Say just one thing. Just one thing. One thing have I desired. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today you draw some heart up close to you just this one thing, you at the center. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, the altar's open. If you need to pray as we sing, I want you to come and take a moment to pray. If you need to trust Christ, we'd love to lead you in prayer to do that. If you're a believer and you need to renew a commitment to get just one thing in your field of vision, I invite you to do that today. But let's take a moment and sing our praise before we go. Chad, lead us today. If you're here and you say, Pastor, 
I'm going to focus this year on just one thing. Will you join me in that commitment today? Just one thing. He may address a lot of things, but I'm going to be tuned in on one voice. Are you with me? Amen. I want you to come back tonight and join us 6 o'clock. How do you kick it off? You kick it off in prayer. We've listened to his word this morning. We're going to talk back to him tonight in prayer. We're going to kick off the year focusing on Jesus. Amen. Come tonight at 6 o'clock. Receive this blessing from the Lord. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. If you're a guest, I want to meet you at the pastor's table. God bless you. See you tonight at 6. You're dismissed.